Check out all our new articles and content on BrewInterview.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Brew Interview. And for some quality memes, follow us on Instagram at Brew Interview Memes. Hello, welcome back to The Break Room. It's a podcast put on by The Brew Interview, UCLA student-run publication group at UCLA. Um, considering how chaotic and scary the world is right now. I just hope that everyone is li- who is listening is safe and healthy. And as a reminder, you're never alone. And my name is Shay, and I'll be your host for today. In this episode, I am joined by Brianne Hernandez. Brianne is a student at UCLA pursuing a Master of Public Health degree in Community Health Science and Reproductive and Sexual Health and Rights. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> so you're actually uh, the TA for a psychiatry course that a former guest, Dr. Corp, taught. And you're actually the second TA from that class on here. So I guess I just really like that class. So yeah. How cool. Yeah, had, um, Tao, do you know? I'm guessing you knew her. Yeah. Oh, Tao, yes. So yeah. And, but we're today we're going to talk about something different. And it's really exciting because we're going to talk about the history and medical benefits of magic mushrooms. And it's the topic that you chose for a set of mini lectures that on all the TAs taught. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what made you interested in choosing the subject? Yeah, so again, thank you again for having me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about psilocybin mushrooms. And what made me interested in choosing the subject Uh, Well, it started when I was a teenager. I have an older brother, and every year he would go on a week-long art festival in the desert. You may have heard of it. It's called Burning Man. Yeah, no. I'm from the East Um, Coast. But actually, yeah, no, but I actually saw that it's in August, so I'm guessing they're probably not going to hold it this year, you know. No, they're not this year. Um, It is sad, but I think it's for the best. Um, But yeah, so growing up, he would share so many stories about all the fun adventures he experienced there. So like there was 24-7 dance parties where everyone um, around you is dressed up in really cool costumes. There's interactive art installations that you can play with. There's art cars driving around and so forth. And all of this involved a heavy consumption of psychedelic substances. Yeah. Yeah. And so my brother and I have different dads. He, his is white and mine is Mexican. So my Mexican dad was really disapproving of my brother's vocal endorsement of psychedelics or going to places where everyone is, you know, quote unquote, That's exactly drugs. like my parents do. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that seems to be the, the norm in most yeah, for households. Sure. And my mom literally equates like doing marijuana with snorting coke and mushrooms and all of that it's the same thing for her yeah they yeah I think they even said that marijuana was like the gateway yeah exactly and I think it's just like more like conservative households have that but yeah we'll talk a bit about why that's that should not be the case I guess today yeah um so in short you know he thought my brother was a terrible influence on my twin brother and I Um, But I became really curious about psychedelics from then. And so, as we just mentioned, like many of probably the other listeners, too, uh, you might have also been raised in a household to believe that psychedelics were bad and dangerous and could possibly deteriorate your Mm -hmm. mental health. 
Um, so that idea scared me. But like all information that's out there, I questioned how dangerous it really was. Um, and I wasn't really scared to dive in and kind of learn more about these psychedelics. So yeah, thank you. So fast forward to today as a graduate student, while I was teaching the psychiatry course that you just mentioned, I was also taking a course on traditional medicine, shamanism, and folk illness in Latin America that talked about indigenous groups in Latin America who still use psychedelics today as part of their rituals. And so this class gave me the opportunity to write an extensive paper on the history and science behind psilocybin mushrooms in Mexico. And I had no idea that there is this long lasting relationship between humans and eating mm -hmm. mushrooms, nor did I really understand the extent of its positive psychological and mystical benefits. And so now that I have a better understanding, I'm really excited to share my findings on such a taboo topic with as many people as That's possible. That's a really interesting class. I feel like so many undergrads <laughs> would take it if we had the choice. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I jumped on it when I had yeah, the No, I would too. <laughs> But yeah, no, like you said, it's it actually it's a really taboo topic. And you know, like I said, my parents, like they're saints, they've never done anything bad, you know, as far as I know. But they've been, you know, they've right. they've been kind of shaped by this like the environment that they grew up in, which was, you know, the seventies and the eighties. And even though they didn't grow up in this country, I feel like the bad reputation of drugs and like hallucinogens had has reached kind of most of the world. So yeah, so what do you think, like, why psilocybin and all psychedelics in general, why have they been given such a bad net reputation in society and maybe even in science? And it's like, it's kind of seen as like the symbol of counterculture movement and, and like the hippies in the 60s and 70s, you know, ruining their lives, like my mom says. And how, how has it, like, why has it been that way? Has it always been that way? Is it different in other places? Yeah, those are all great questions. So before I get into why it's perceived negatively now, I think it's really important to understand that it is widely reported that actually many traditional cultures incorporated the use of psychedelic plants like psilocybin mushrooms into many aspects of daily life. So the presence of psilocybin mushrooms have been found across many continent, continents. Mm -hmm. Um, but eating magic mushrooms specifically as part of ceremonial practices has historical roots in Mexico. So we see that mushrooms are being religiously used by Mexican indigenous cultures for hundreds and likely thousands of years prior to the Spanish conquest in 1519. Yeah, and based on archaeological findings and documents in Aztec and pre-Hispanic manuscript called codices, and they date far as far back as 100 BC to AD 300 or 400, so a very long time ago. Um, Aztecs were part of something called the mushroom cult. So these Aztecs referred to mushrooms as the flesh of gods. And it was associated with a particular god called, I might butcher it, um, Quetzalcoatl. Sure. Um, and so, yes. And so his followers believed that the mushrooms were actually sent by wind and rain gods as divine gifts due to their hallucinogenic wow. effects. And they represented the soul and flesh of this god. They also believed that a divine force actually entered the body, a state described as God within, when they took these mushrooms. And so because of these effects, um, Aztecs were also known for taking these mushrooms before battle to eliminate any feelings of fear and increase a sense of courage and invisibility. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of people who take mushrooms today 
another psychedelic say like the same thing that they've seen God or like the truths of the universe and all of that. So I guess yeah, might, and we're actually yeah. getting more yeah, and we'll get more into that too Amazing. about like why that even happens or why we yeah. get that feeling. Um, but essentially, when the Spanish arrived to Mexico and they learned about eating mushrooms among the Aztecs, the Spanish missionaries were very repulsed by this and especially repulsed by its connection to human sacrifice, mm. surprisingly. So Aztecs actually sacrificed men by the thousands, and they believed that dying in this way was a sacred gift to the gods, whereas the Spanish believed death was a punishment and that sacrificing men by the thousands was inspired by Satan. So this threatened the church. And so what did they do? They destroyed as many evidence and temples as possible to wipe out any record of the mushroom worship. It's kind of interesting how, which, oh, sorry, but like kind of interesting how both no, yeah. related to this because of religion, like opposing views on something related to their own religions, I guess. Exactly. So because of this, this drove the mushroom cult underground for hundreds of years. And so following the European colonization, we see that consuming mushrooms has actually still survived to this day among indigenous, uh, sorry, indigenous groups in Mexico, like the Zapotecs, Shinantecs, and Mazatec Indians uh, in modern shamanistic practices. Um, and so they use this for, to increase their spiritual incense and uh, to strengthen their healing powers, uh, to cure diseases, remove hexes, um, address the loss of the soul, and among other things. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> but is this yeah? It is is a this lot. like <laughs> is this like your you know your local psychic in Westwood type of stuff, or is this like actually legit? Oh wow! So I would say, especially based off like all the readings that I've read so far in Latin America, a lot of their shamanistic rituals have been influenced by um, actually the Catholic Church, okay. which is very interesting. But at the same time, they still have been able to maintain some of their roots of uh, like certain practices mm-hmm. um, around these psychedelics. So um, definitely more hardcore in the sense that it it has historical yeah. roots, which I and culture I love yeah. and culture exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're fast forwarding to the 1950s. This American researcher named Garden Wasson. He sampled some mushrooms in Mexico because he was interested and he ended up publishing an article in Life magazine about it. And this publication actually led to a boom in psych- uh, psychedelic research. At the same time as what you had mentioned, there was a rise in a counterculture movement in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So this counterculture movement in the U.S. Um, was marked by the opposition to the Vietnam War and the Cold War with the Soviet Union and resistance to social norms. So because psychedelics actually at the time in the U.S. were legal in most places, hippies in the counterculture movement used them recreationally and regularly as tools for self-exploration and achieving spiritual enlightenment. And these hippies wanted a lifestyle that focused less on militarism and imperialism and more on community and individualism. That's interesting. So yeah, I didn't know they were legal yeah. back then. Yeah, I actually didn't either. Oh. And I was pretty shocked. And actually back then, psychedelics were legal almost around the entire world. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, and I'll get into how they even got banned. Yeah, and so sure. as a result of these psychedelics, the young refused to fight in the wars. Mm-hmm. 
And this posed a major threat to American Puritan values. And then this led to Nixon's administration to demonize psychedelics and saying that they contribute to having bad trips and psychotic breakdowns, flashbacks and suicides. All negative stuff. And this really, yeah, exactly. And this caused a lot of the American people to panic and become paranoid around these psychedelics, yeah. which then led to Nixon actually passing the Controlled Substance Act in 1970, declaring psychedelics as illegal and placing them in the most dangerous legal category of drugs called Schedule One. Mm-hmm. So this prevented psychedelic research from continuing for the next 40 years. And that was the start of when more than 100 other countries around the world jumped in and banned the use of psychedelics. That's actually something I wanted to ask um, you. So this is why they're considered a Schedule 1 drug, because I never understood that. Because they don't. it doesn't seem as harsh as the other Schedule 1 drugs are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Yeah, all the other countries have jumped on. And Mm -hmm. I think right now, 183 uh, United Nations members are are currently banning uh, psychedelics. Oh, wow. So it's because of the UN? Sort of. Uh, Yeah, part of the UN. Yeah, Yeah, like the US started it. They really pushed for, Mm -hmm. uh, pushed this agenda to other countries. And I think, yeah, this the world, as you said, like word about this kind of spread around the world. And, you know, because my fam- entire family is incredibly anti-drugs, like I said before. Um, and, you know, through all of this, I guess the funding for the research on the benefits of psilocybin mushrooms kind of fell through. Yeah, so because of the ban, essentially, for the next 40 years, there was no more, uh, like, research on psychedelics have almost kind of disappeared until recently. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so I was just going to say that, like, as of now, like, a lot of clinical research has been showing promising results in disorders like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and addictions Yeah, um, when taken under supportive conditions. Yeah, you mentioned that in your paper, how this can kind of help with depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, OCD, all of that, and... Um by affecting kind of the default mode network that we talked about a little bit about in class. So yeah, can you explain a little bit more about all of all of that and the research behind it? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's important to note that before we even go into the default mode network, I think it's important to start the conversation first around the chemical compounds mm-hmm. found in psilocybin. So starting from the very small and then kind of going bigger. So psilocybin shares similar properties and structure to the neurotransmitter serotonin. Mm -hmm. So serotonin helps with improving mood, impulse control, and motivation, and it helps overcome bad habits. So research has demonstrated that psychedelics act on serotonergic, sorry, I'm like butchering that word, uh, pathways, so pretty much pathways that act on the serotonin, Mm -hmm. um, which then triggers these mind-bending effects. So when psychedelics enter the bloodstream, they bind to these serotonin receptors, which then dramatically change a person's perception of reality, which is also referred to as hallucinations. Um, For psilocybin mushrooms, it specifically lasts for around six hours. So that's how long a high lasts, six hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they actually change the, the range and time depends on which psychedelic you use, but traditionally psilocybin mushrooms it's around six hours Um, so the serotonin receptors are located in the cerebral cortex and thalamus areas of the brain which is responsible for sensory input 
So when the serotonin receptor is activated, thalamic activity decreases and brain connections increase. So this leads to a phenomenon called synthesia, which is the mixture of two senses intertwined together. So that could look like feeling like you can hear colors or tasting numbers, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, So evidence suggests that when someone is under the influence of psychedelics, there's an increase in synthesia. Um, And that is because it targets, psychedelics targets serotonin specifically. Mm -hmm. So apart from the chemical structure of psilocybin and the effects of serotonin on the brain, neuroscientists wanted to map out what's happening in a sober brain compared to a tripping brain on psilocybin and found that after taking psilocybin, regions in the brain that would normally not be communicating with one another in a sober brain were now in lively conversation with one another in a tripping brain and they were making lots of new connections so it's like the so sorry go ahead mm-hmm. oh yeah no yeah you, you said oh, no, you're fine um yeah so like it like synesthesia it's like the part of your brain that were like there were places that were not in connection with each other and not talking to each other so is that oh, is that safe oh I think that's very necessary I, I feel like all of us have heard that kind of like quote or something that's like we only use 20 or 30% of our brain. Mm -hmm. And I think this kind of alludes to that, that psychedelics helps us unlock different parts of our brains that we weren't able to do before using psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a, yeah, I think it's good that the brain, parts of the brain are talking to each other that they weren't before. Yeah, great. Um, Yeah, and so... Neuroscientists also wanted to better understand the mechanisms for these new connections. Um, And this could actually mean changing ingrained behaviors like addiction. So depression and anxiety are actually similar to addictions in that people with depression or anxiety have rumination tendencies. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually that psilocybin causes intense rumination, which then leads to a decrease in these mental health issues. But it's that people with these mental health issues usually have rumination tendencies. Can you explain a little? So sorry, is, can you explain a little bit about like what rumination is? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to oh, go into perfect. that. So rumination is a pattern of repetitive and fixated negative self thinking that is very hyper focused on your own negative thoughts and emotions. That's like so not being yeah. able to get out of your head. That's like every Gen Z millennial person ever. So. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. It seems like to be the yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be our generation. <laughs> um, so to finally answer your question about the default mode network, so neuroscientists discovered the brain circuitry responsible for rumination and creating this narrow sense of self called the default mode network. So the DMN is an interconnected group of brain structures that includes the medial prefrontal cortex and the posterior cingulate cortex. And it is the organization system of the mind. And it seems to be the seat of the ego or the orchestrator of the self. And so according to psychoanalytic theory, the feeling of having a personal identity is known as the ego. And in depression, having strong rumination levels of the ego leads to an increase in the DMN activity. Okay. So recent research has shown that psychedelics like psilocybin mushrooms actually reduce 
the activity of the DMN, which then breaks down one's personal identity, also known as ego dissolution or psychological death and rebirth. And therefore, further, ego dissolution has then been found to decrease rumination levels and then decreases depression and anxiety. So there's so many positive effects around psychedelics and how it impacts your rumination levels and how it contributes to the decrease in depression and anxiety. Amazing. Yeah. So um, I wanted to kind of ask you, how should people who are taking, you know, possibly in therapy for this, how should they include psilocybin into their um, everyday routine? Maybe if, if even that. Yeah. So, I mean, as of now, psychiatrists are not able to prescribe psychedelics Mm -hmm. because it's still illegal (laughs) in the U.S. Um, But there's definitely studies that show that even something called microdosing is pretty effective. So um, right now, a lot of the clinical research being conducted shows um, researchers administering low to high doses of psilocybin um, in very controlled settings and for a very short time period. But there's not that many, there's not that much research that shows the effects um, and usage of microdosing, which is essentially even lower than low doses of psilocybin. So it's almost kind of like not really experiencing the full hallucinogenic effects. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like being on a sub threshold. But the studies that show that there's still um, similarly positive uh, benefits to doing microdosing mm-hmm. as doing low to high dosing. So in terms of like incorporating it in your daily life, um, yeah, you can't really, it's kind of hard to be like, you would have to go out of your way to try to maybe find a uh, psychedelic research that you can be part of yeah. um, in the legal sense. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. But, yeah. uh, I feel like I just feel like a lot of people might not be into microdosing because it wouldn't give them that the high that they want because that's what I guess most people would do it for is that high but right so like even saying like the word high I feel like that has like a negative connotation behind it so like what does that even really mean um and so it shouldn't uh, but it does yeah (laughs) Yeah. And so kind of, um, I want to go into like other like psychological benefits of like, what does this high actually really mean? So, um, so keeping in mind that psilocybin induces a state of uninhibited consciousness. Mm -hmm. So like ego dissolution, um, it makes sense that psilocybin would actually contribute to short term negative psychological reactions. Um, And so an international survey taken by psilocybin users showed that 62% of the participants actually consider the experience to be among the top 10 most psychologically difficult or challenging experiences of their lives. But at the same time, 34% said that it was also among the top five single most personally meaningful and spiritually significant experiences of their lives. Hmm. Okay. And this is attributed to something called quantum change experiences. So this just means like drastic transformational changes um, and sudden um, compared to like very small incremental changes that kind of happen over time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And these are also called mystical experiences or epiphanies because people, as what you have mentioned earlier, people who take psychedelics report personal encounters with God or communicating with something conscious and divine and sacred and all-knowing, um, which sounds very familiar to what we talked about earlier with the Aztecs, uh, referring to mushrooms as the flesh of gods or becoming the God within. Yeah, I feel um, like that's the so statements the, like that is what caused my parents to tell me I should not do drugs. Which part? The coming, like becoming the God the God. Like, if you hear that, <laughs> you would not let yeah, your kid like, do what that. Is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. Um, but these mystical experiences, like the flesh of gods or becoming the God within, tend to have long-term psychological benefits and pro-social attitudes. So that includes having a feeling of interconnectedness with other people, gratitude, love, forgiveness, uh, coping. So all these really positive uh, psychological benefits on top of epiphanies, which kind of triggers behavioral changes and like a new interest, a new um, curiosity for the world mm -hmm. and to try new things. That's great. We all need um, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so cool. Um, you also wanted to talk a little bit about, actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. So, um, and it's okay if you don't want to answer this, it, um, but do you support taking mushrooms to reduce depression and anxiety? Yeah, so, you know, I, after conducting all this historical and anthropological and scientific research, I deeply believe and support the use of psychedelic mushrooms, um, possibly to reduce depression, anxiety, given the positive benefits. Um, but with that in mind, I think it's incredibly important to, to say that the positive experiences of these hallucinogens are completely dependent on your mindset mm -hmm. um, which includes your mood and your expectations it also depends on the setting so the place where someone takes these psychedelics and the dosage mm -hmm. so researchers actually found that the emotional state before taking psilocybin the physical comfort and safety of your surroundings and the type of social support and trust you have while doing these psychedelics um, it contributes largely to having a positive experience. So it's important to be around your loved ones and mm -hmm. to possibly be out in nature and possibly to try at least maybe microdosing when you first try it, just so that you can have some kind of acquaintance with something new that you've never tried before. Yeah. So what you're kind of saying, I feel like, is that in order to get like the most benefit out of this, you should have a clear set of objectives or intentions so that you actually have like a more useful yeah. experience of your, I don't want to say high again, but like you're high. Yeah. Right. No, it makes sense. So like there's been studies that even show that among smokers, those who had an intention of wanting to quit smoking after taking psilocybin had higher rates of actually abstaining from smoking even up to a year later which I think wow. is incredibly powerful and really shows the power of intention setting, regardless of psychedelics, mm -hmm. I feel that if we just put all our energy into a particular outcome, then we can achieve it. Is that better than other things that they've tried maybe on addictions, like patches and all of those things? Um, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So in comparison to other smoking sensation devices, 
uh, studies showed that psychedelics had not only immediate positive effects, but sustained effects okay. in the long term. So it has long-lasting compared effects. To others. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. And also, how about like long-lasting as in, because I've heard a lot of people when they have like a high, as you said, I guess they see the flesh of God, but do they kind of, does that last for a while after, like even after you come down for your, from your high, like, or does it just come back only when you're taking the mushrooms? Yeah, so that's interesting is that there's also studies that show with like, you know, those with depression and anxiety that um, most participants end up, um, you know, if they had extreme or uh, severe depression, mm-hmm. then after they took psilocybin, they reduced their depression to like low depression up to three months. Yeah. And then after three months, only some like maybe two of the 10 went back to moderate depression. Mm-hmm. Um but most still sustain relatively low levels of depression. And this kind of makes me think of the the term of microdosing. So microdosing, usually the schedule is taking very, very, very small amounts every three days because the residual effects of the low doses last up to two days. So when we think about this in the long term of taking low to high doses in a controlled setting for depression, mm-hmm. after three months, you can you can kind of deduce that you could take another maybe low to high dose and then kind of continue that treatment um, until you kind of sustain low depression Mm -hmm. overall. Amazing. Okay. So, you know, with seeing all of these benefits, you, I'm assuming that you think that it's probably a little bit wrong that society has such a negative attitude towards psilocybin and possibly other psychedelics as well. And do you think um, parents should be more lenient toward this drug than other drugs? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So as we mentioned, psychedelics are banned globally. But right now, some countries are still actually permitting the use of psychedelics among indigenous groups. So actually, there's a indigenous group in Mexico called the Huicholes, and they regularly ingest a psychedelic called peyote. Um, So in fact, Huichol babies are introduced to peyote while they're inside their mother's womb and later through her milk. So consuming the psychedelics daily across these indigenous groups as part of their cultural practice is normalized and just seen as an everyday life occurrence. With that said, I still do think that parents should still be cautious with their children about psychedelics because, one, it's still illegal in the U.S. Of course. Um, But the danger is actually not really in the substance itself, but in the fact that since they are illegal, their consumption is pushed into settings that are not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So with like dosages that far exceed reasonable limits and without cultivating the proper mindset mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier. So almost without exception, one of these three factors, the mindset, the setting and the dosage are to blame for these so-called bad trips. Mm-hmm. So providing accurate information to children should involve explaining the real nature of the risk which is not that these drugs are going to rot your brain as we've been taught, but rather when consumed without guidance, supervision, or proper mental and physical preparation, they can have a highly destabilizing effect in mental health and well-being. And there's been studies that show that some individuals actually experience negative psychotic breaks Mm -hmm. from overdosing, for example. But At the same time, psychedelics have the power to unlock parts of ourselves that we didn't even know were possible. 
So it deconstructs the walls that you've created around who you think you are Mm -hmm. and that you didn't even know you built around who you are. And it really brings up these deep and heavy emotions and deep repressed traumas. And so it really forces you to answer the question of like, who am I? Who am I without all this programming and conditioning I've been fed my entire life? And it can be scary. And so as such, these medicinal substances rooted in ancient human knowledge need to be treated with the respect that they deserve. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the matrix, you know, where you're like finally seeing the world differently. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, maybe seeing some truths that you didn't know were there before. And it can be scary, but I feel like it's also kind of beautiful. Like you're seeing the world in a new way and you're coming out of like that proverbial cave and seeing light for the first time and all that. And it's nice. Um, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> do you um do you think this is going to this is going to have some kind of impact on policymakers? Like what is the future of like psilocybin and its reputation in the clinical field? How do you think it's going to change? Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we're at the beginning of a new stage in terms of pharma pharmacological research. Mm-hmm to treat these pervasive mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, addictions, and trauma. So on the one hand, we're starting to reach the limits of the effectiveness of widely prescribed pharmaceuticals with antidepressants being the primary example where these substances might not be as effective for some and are associated with a series of undesirable side effects. So ranging from weight gain, and a decline in libido to dependency and withdrawal-induced suicidal thoughts. So many people have this misconception that changes in the legal framework for psychedelic substances can only be made once we have large-scale peer-reviewed research that documents systematically the positive effect of these substances. Mm -hmm. However, if we look at historical instances where prohibition has been lifted, such as the case with marijuana, the reverse relationship has been the case in that very often it is necessary to change the legal framework before any funded research being able to be carried out. So if we wait until we have studies that meet the FDA criteria, like large-scale peer-reviewed double-blind treatment trials, Mm -hmm we should be skeptical about the prospects for change given the amount of control the pharmaceutical industry has over our regulatory process in the U.S. And we should also be cautious about how much control and power we allow pharmaceutical industries to have over the legalization process of psychedelics. The bottom line of these companies is very threatened by expanding treatment with these medicines in part due to their increased effectiveness compared to pharmaceutical alternatives, in addition to lacking the same profit potential associated with large-scale daily consumption. So they're scared because these like natural psychedelics might actually be more effective than allopathic medication. Oh, totally. And, you know, with the current, you know, pharmaceuticals that's out there, there's a higher dependency on mm-hmm. this and a longer and long-term dependency in comparison to psychedelics that kind of have a more immediate and sustainable transformation in your thoughts, behaviors, yeah. actions, lifestyle. Which, I mean, at least that means that they've seen the proof, which is, I guess that's good. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's definitely a good yeah. start. <laughs> um, 
But besides that, like without legalization, these studies aren't going to take place and they won't be able to get funded and they will have difficulties obtaining psychedelic substances in any sufficient quantity and quality. And so today there are actually efforts on the way to create synthetic forms of psilocybin that are close substitutes, but we should still be very wary because if we look with the fake industry, uh, sorry, the fake marijuana industry, those products ended up being very detrimental to the health and well-being of those consuming it. And so it raises a broader question of even if we can produce a close approximation that is um, synthetic, we don't necessarily know what is being lost in translation. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason these substances have stayed around for thousands of years in their organic form. And so while we can applaud efforts to create synthetic substitutes, these solutions still sidestep the real problem, which is the legal prohibition of cultivating and the consumption of these traditional medicines. Yeah, I mean, like, why should you take something synthetic that has more side effects when you can take something natural that actually works and it's proven to work? Exactly. Amazing. So, well... Thank you for all of that information. I really did not know anything about this topic. So thank you for educating me on it and all the listeners out there who probably didn't know about all of this. So yeah, before we go, I have a quick like game for you. It's not really a game. It's like a series of questions, like a lightning round that uh, my family and friends wanted me to ask you about mushrooms <laughs> and other, other stuff. So the first one is, um, how much is the right dosage? for this yeah so a microdose is considered like one to three milligrams whereas like a low dose is 10 milligrams a medium is 20 and a high is 30 so this is not including the actual mushroom mm-hmm. itself it's specifically the, the psilocybin content okay so like mushrooms then how what is the right dosage oof i actually what don't is know a safe dosage <laughs> Yeah, I actually don't know the safe dosage for actual like psilocybin mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to guess, especially if you were going to microdose for the first time, probably like one mushroom, like one whole mushroom, which I think they're pretty small. Mm-hmm. Like a few um, inches, I guess. In length? Yeah, yeah, a few okay. inches. Yeah. <laughs> and That's a good start. Great. <laughs> so um, next one is, is it addictive? And what are the dangers of it? Yeah, so it is not addictive because um, it acts on the brain directly, whereas addictive drugs, which are also called psychotropic, they actually act on the central nervous system. So they act on two different parts of your of your body. Okay. And what are the possible dangers? Like a few, just a few. Uh, of taking psychedelics, I think if you take it in the, like, you know, if you take too much mm-hmm. or you kind of go into it already scared and not mentally prepared to like what's to come, Mm -hmm. then that would probably be the dangerous part of it because you really need to, I think it's so important to be with someone who has maybe done it before and can kind of guide you through the process so that if you kind of start going down that quote unquote bad trip, someone, that guide can help reel you back in and make you feel safe again. Because like you said, it can be kind of a scary experience if you're doing it for the first time. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. And then one of my friends said she's heard um, anti-anxiety meds can slow down or stop trips. Is this true? Hmm. I actually don't know that question. Okay, that is fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you know of anything that can like stop 
these kind of like if if you take it and something goes wrong or if you overdose or something is there a way to kind of counteract it oh I see so you're saying if you take a psychedelic what's a way to like get out of a bad trip yeah like another medication for example um yeah I actually don't know the answer to that question all right well I guess more research is needed yeah more More research is needed okay I mean, there's actually a very, like, a, like a lack of, I can't say, but there's a lack of research on, I think, psychedelics in general, that I could find at least, but right. cool. So, um, is it okay, my next question, is it, is, um, is it okay for someone who's really paranoid, or can it make, can it make that paranoia worse? Yeah, so I would say, so actually there's been studies that shown cancer patients specifically who have had death-related paranoia mm-hmm. so they were just constantly fixated and like terrified of their death and like death coming mm-hmm. and they showed dramatic decreases in this anxiety and paranoia that actually sustained for three months so again if you're like mentally prepared to like let go of that paranoia then I think it's 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 safe to ingest these mushrooms as long as they're in a supportive condition that we talked about earlier okay and kind of Going back to the question a little bit before, how do you prevent bad trips from happening in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably one of the most important things is just being surrounded by your trusted loved ones who can help talk you through it. So like, you know, even if you have an anxiety attack without psychedelics, I think having someone there to help you remind you that mm-hmm. like and help ground you and be in the present and just help you um kind of like because again these psychedelics are powerful in the sense that they will force you to engage in all of your emotions Mm -hmm. whether that's positive or negative so I also think that these quote-unquote bad trips is kind of like you in the dark the dark um, uh negative emotions Mm -hmm. that you've been trying to like push to the side so having your loved ones to help you kind of walk you through and hold your hand through experiencing yeah. these negative emotions it's like that, that will thing. help you get out of that bad yeah place. it's like that thing of like i'd rather you do it at home first before you do it elsewhere <laughs> cool so how does it compare to other hallucinogens and other hard drugs yeah so actually there's something called classic drugs and this includes lsd also known as acid mm-hmm. um, psilocybin mescaline and dnt and all of these psychedelics act on serotonin receptors so they have similar hallucinogenic experiences um but uh in comparison to like hard drugs for example the i would say that the most dangerous drugs are the psychotropic substances that i was telling you about because they suppress your problems and conflicts and they make you feel like they're less serious and they're no longer important. So you kind of just put them to the side. What's an example? So those include... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that includes like meth and heroin Mm -hmm. um, because they not only create like this false sense of well-being where people push their physical body to the limit, but they can also cause irreversible harm like psychological breakdowns that sustain for a very long time damaged blood vessels that can cause strokes, increased heart rate and blood pressure, organ damage or failure and death. And again, it's because 
these hard drugs act on the central nervous system, mm -hmm. whereas psychedelics act directly on the brain, which are different pathways. Okay. So it's not like where you have to keep taking it again and again. You don't build like a resistance to it or anything. No, okay. exactly. Amazing. All right. Well, that, I think that is all the questions I had for you about that. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Was, <laughs> Thank you so much. Great talking it's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Oh my God, it was great talking to you. So <laughs> yeah, I think that is the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. And I hope, hope you all are safe.